I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Dr. Greg Hammer, MD, professor at Stanford University School of Medicine. We're going to be talking about using mindfulness to reduce mom rage. Moms everywhere have been hit especially hard by the pandemic, and their stress has slowly compounded since 2020. Even in 2022, women are expected to bend their work schedules first to accommodate childcare, while also keeping up with the majority of the housework regardless of their professional responsibilities. Paired with the isolation felt during lockdowns, these expectations have put mothers in an especially difficult position emotionally. Women are expected to stay calm, not show anger, and certainly never be overcome with rage. But denying negative emotions often makes them worse. Stanford School of Medicine professor and mindfulness expert, Dr. Greg Hammer, has another solution, which includes mindfulness strategies for coping specifically with rage. Dr. Hammer is a member of the Stanford WellMed WellMD initiative and chair of the Physician Wellness Task Force for the California Society of Anesthesiologists. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hammer. Wonderful to be with you, Catherine. Uh, Dr. Hammer, first question. What's the difference between mom rage and the rage that we saw Will Smith exhibit at the Oscars? Or is there a difference? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think there is a commonality, let's say, that, uh, first of all, rage is really an acute stress response. So if we think about stress, Stress can be acute or chronic. It can be, at least acute stress, adaptive or maladaptive. And adaptive acute stress would be, for example, when you're at a, uh, a, an afternoon party at a friend's house and they have a pool and there's toddlers running around, among others, and you hear a splash in the pool and everybody gets their antennae up and the uh, adrenaline or epinephrine in your bloodstream spikes. The cortisol in your blood spikes. That causes your blood sugar to increase acutely. And you are now prepared for the well-known fight or flight response and well physiologically prepared to jump in the pool and rescue that toddler. So in that regard, that physiologic response to an acutely awakening stressful stimulus is adaptive. But when that response even if it's toned down a bit, persists for days, weeks, months, or as, as in our, I think our many people's recent experience, years, it is certainly maladaptive. That chronic increase in adrenaline has adverse uh, effects on our cardiovascular system. It puts a stress on the heart. Uh, it causes blood vessels to constrict, and that leads to hypertension. That chronic elevation in cortisol causes uh, chronic elevation in blood sugar, which may predispose to diabetes. There's other hormonal uh, adverse responses. Sleep is impaired. And then we get into this vicious cycle where we're fatigued. And I, I, would, I would say that the three sort of uh, pillars of physical health are sleep, exercise, and nutrition. When our sleep suffers because we have chronic stress, we are fatigued. We're too tired to exercise. We tend to pick up so-called comfort foods, which are sugary and fatty and not healthy. And so this whole process just sort of feeds into itself. And I think that's what we've been seeing in so many people 
during the pandemic and up till the present time. So rage is really sort of an exaggerated acute stress response, which is maladaptive. And the reason it is because there's no toddler in the swimming pool. There's really no reason to suddenly have all this uh, surge in hormones, including adrenaline. And when that happens to us in the setting that I think we're speaking of with regard to mom rage, uh, it, it causes us to lose control of our thought processes and say and do things that we wish we hadn't done. Um, I think that we're so all suffering. Cut, yeah, from- I just want to. So what we're saying is that particularly in women and the circumstances that they find themselves in, which I sort of read in the intro, w- women have this buildup and buildup of this this anxiety and and they don't it's maladaptive. Because uh, it's not related to the kids falling in the swimming pool, or the kid falling in the swimming pool, and then so that we accumulate it to the point where when it finally comes out, it comes out in a, a form of rage. Is that what you're saying? Right. Yes, exactly. I think that when we have chronic stress, we are close to the edge of developing acute superimposed on chronic stress. Right. So if we're underslept, we're fatigued, we're not eating well, we've put on weight. We're not exercising. We're not really taking the best care of ourselves. Then we have all these other issues that you just mentioned where the kids are in school, then they're out of school, and we have to, somebody has to stay home with them, and, and all of the things that you mentioned in the intro. Uh, when we're already chronic stressed and when moms are already chronically stressed, it doesn't take much to kind of augment that into an acute on chronic stress and, and the reaction to that, and, and that's when we see this rage, and uh, it's totally understandable. How does the rage manifest itself? Are you talking about moms who actually get so enraged that they may be abusive or hit the kids, or how, you know, what happens when you have this this mom rage? Sure. Well, it's that surge in epinephrine that we experience. Our heart rate goes up, our blood pressure goes up, our blood sugar goes up. And so we lose control in some cases. I think that's when acute stress response becomes rage. Really, rage means there's a loss of control. And what happens when people are enraged and out of control is, is of course, highly variable. Um, It sure can make some people get physical, uh, become violent, uh, use language they don't normally use, say things they don't really mean uh, to their kids, to their significant others. Uh, to their colleagues, um, you know, so it's actions, words, uh, thoughts, in fact, that are really spiraling out of control. You know, it, I just spoke to a colleague and I, she knows that I was going to be interviewing you today and she had exactly that situation happen in her practice a few months ago. Uh, one of her patients who has uh, three little kids under the age of six and she had just she reached that point where she she was able to verbalize it. I, I I'm just in a rage. I need to go to the hospital. I think is what she said. And um, her partner said, "Well, uh, you, you know, you're on leave, but when you go back to work, then we'll get help." Well, she needs help now. But it really yeah. kind of just exactly described what you're talking about in terms of this mom rage. Yes, exactly. And I, I think the. This really points out the need to have a daily practice, which gives us the tools to deal with this. Because we're talking about mom rage, but I think all of us experience chronic stress. Life itself, at at its best, is stressful, right? I mean, we have ups and downs, and 
the downs are associated with chronic stress in many cases. And then you superimpose upon that COVID and then the situation in Ukraine. We're seeing all these just absolutely horrific images on television. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, many of us just kind of go over the edge. And, and that is why it's so important to have a daily practice. And uh, one can establish the habitual daily practice, uh, a routine to deal with chronic and acute stress in just a few minutes every day. It's, it, it can be like, you know, we brush our teeth, we comb our hair, we take a shower, and we do our little uh, gain meditation. It's, it's not difficult. And that's why the book is called Gain Without Pain, because it doesn't have to be painful. But I think one of the things that women tend to do, and I mentioned this in the intro and you talk about it, but denying the, these negative emotions, women are kind of, I don't program to, I can handle it. I can take care of the kids. I can do everything I have to do. And they don't express these. You have to first be aware of those negative emotions, I think, before you're able to do something like what you're talking about, um, mindfulness activities. And we'll talk more about that. But really being able to admit to them that you have these feelings and that, that it's okay, even though you are a mom. Oh, no, absolutely. And that's why, uh, you know, the gain practice that I embrace myself in my own life and that I teach and that I write about, the first letter in GAIN, GAIN is an acronym for gratitude is first, and I think gratitude is a requisite to happiness and, and being present. The A in GAIN is acceptance because, you know, there's a formula that I, I have in the book, which is suffering equals pain times resistance. So as you said, life is associated with pain. There's joy, there's pain. Trying to deny the pain magnifies the suffering. So if you think of uh, suffering equals pain times resistance, the opposite of resistance is acceptance. So if we can actually focus on something that's painful, and for me it comes easily uh, every morning when I do my game meditation. I lost my son five years ago yesterday, actually, at the age of 29. And so that is a pain that I have to accept. There's nothing I can do about it. And so I've spent a lot of my time in meditation focusing on that and accepting it. And as I accept more fully, open my heart and actually invite the pain in, embrace it, <clears throat> the resistance being the opposite of acceptance goes towards zero. And in that case, the suffering goes towards zero. Suffering equals pain times resistance. So you're absolutely right. Denying is a form of resistance, and <clears throat> excuse me, we need to embrace the pain that we experience. We're not alone. We all experience these painful moments, these painful uh, more than moments, these these painful experiences in life. And and yes, you're exactly right. We need to use our intention, which is the I in gain, to accept that which is painful that we cannot change. So we have to acknowledge it. I mean, and, and in losing your son, which is probably the most painful thing or post, most painful thing that could that can happen to a parent. And so are you saying for you that by practicing what, you know, what you've been talking about, the pain subsides or it takes on a different meaning or how, do, you know, for you, how does that, how has that worked? Well, the pain itself is there, and um, what subsides is the suffering. 
So suffering equals pain times resistance. It's the product of the painful experience and one's resistance to that painful experience that causes suffering. So I kind of imagine that those people who are truly enlightened, and maybe this is, you know, Jesus or the Buddha or just people I know that are particularly awake and at peace, they have accepted that which is. They've fully accepted the pain in life, their mortality, the the events that occur. And in that case, when the resistance goes towards zero, their suffering goes towards zero, and and they're at peace. And so, yes, you're exactly right. Um, The pain is there. The pain doesn't subside necessarily, but the suffering may subside. So as the suffering subsides, um, I'm, I'm assuming you, you also, you have to continue to do this. This is kind of a, a lifelong way of um, waking up in the morning and uh, living your life. It's not something that is, you know, you do it for a certain period of time and then you stop. Because as you say, there are always stressors, uh, no matter what they are. And we have to continually do this, or we should for our mental health. Yes, I would say it's exactly like exercising our muscles and, you know, doing uh, aerobic exercises for our circulation and our heart, yeah, you can be in great shape, but if you stop your practice, you know, your body will get softer and, and you, you'll be out of shape at some point. So, yes, uh, there are things we need to do for ourselves to keep ourselves healthy and in terms of our emotional and spiritual health to keep us present. And this is what mindfulness is. Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, who's one of the founders of what we call mindfulness practice, defined it as being aware of the present moment on purpose in, uh, without judgment or non-judgmentally. And so it's the present moment awareness, and that's where happiness lives. But it requires, on purpose, it requires intention. And we have to learn to be non-judgmental because our brains are wired to be distracted by the past and the future, we have a hard time being present. The second property that all of our brains has uh, have is a negativity bias. That is, we tend to remember and focus on the negative and forget the positive. And so we're very distracted when our minds go to the future and we're overthinking the future. Because of our negativity bias, it generates fear and anxiety. And when we're focused on the past, we generate a lot of shame and regret and and low self-esteem because of our negativity bias, and we're hardest on ourselves. So we need a daily practice that brings us to the present moment. And uh, the more we practice this, even for just a few minutes a day, the more available these skills are, the more we can just sort of, oh, I'm becoming enraged, recognize what's happening. I'm getting acutely stressed. It's maladaptive. Um, I'm... uh, overthinking the past, which is making me enraged. I have tools. Wait a minute. I'm going to go to my breath. I'm going to go to my gratitude, acceptance, intention, non-judgment. And the, the, the acute stress response will just dissipate. And we can feel that epinephrine or adrenaline level in our bloodstream just subsiding. And what a relief that is. Well, our moms, I keep kind of going back to this, but are moms more susceptible to this than others? I mean, you talk about focusing on the future. Well, actually focusing on the future and worrying about the future most of the time, 
by not remaining in the present, I'm assuming, and I am a mom and, and a grandmother. And uh, uh, they're just made up stories about the future that I can get anxious about that aren't even going to happen, or I don't know that they're going to happen, or they're not necessarily going to happen. So there's a, a lot of that kind of uh, energy devoted to the future anxiety, which is, you know, it may never happen. So, um, no, you're exactly right. (laughs) That's because we have this negativity bias. Uh, so the negativity bias is the way our brains are wired and, and we're also wired to be over overly thoughtful of the future and the past in ways that are maladaptive. So when you're thinking about the future, when you recognize that you're starting to catastrophize, that you're starting to have all these negative thoughts, you're thinking of the worst thing that can happen. And for most of us, that's maladaptive. When you recognize that your thoughts are going in that direction, if you have some skills to bring yourself back to the present, it's not so difficult. Um, and, you know, I tend to laugh at myself when I'm driving in my car and I, somebody kind of cuts me off a little bit. I start to make all these judgments. And I quickly remember that I was in my meditation, my gain meditation, focused on non-judgment. And I kind of laughed that I had that judgmental response. And the same thing happens with the situation you described, where you're thinking of the worst thing that can happen, even though it probably will never happen. And when you recognize that you're doing that, if you have the tools to recognize that you're being way too negativistic and focusing on the future in a maladaptive way, when you recognize that, you have the tools to almost instantaneously bring yourself back to the present. You know, one of my um, siblings once said to me, you know, the worst things happen usually come out of left field anyway. This is, uh, <laughs> you didn't even, and, and, and there is some truth to that. You're worrying and, and, you know, about all kinds of things that will never happen and the real big stuff happens and you never expected it. It's a little off topic, but it does sort of. No, no, that's here. true. Yeah. Um, so, okay. That's to, the, you know, to, yeah, go ahead. To close the loop on that, Catherine, I would just say that, you know, thinking of the future can be adaptive and even thinking of the worst thing that can happen can be adaptive for some people. Like for me, I practice critical care medicine and cardiac anesthesia for children. I need to think of the worst thing that can happen, but I should have the skills to recognize that I don't need to do that all the time. I only need to do that when I'm approaching a patient, I'm entering the operating room or the ICU, et cetera. And so um, we just need to be able to recognize what's maladaptive. And you talked about moms and, you know, we all have our particular stressors, but of course this has been a very difficult time, especially for mothers. And they're typically, not always, but typically the ones who are staying home with the kids and the, the fact that the kids are trying, I just can't imagine having a five-year-old or an eight-year-old and trying to have them sit in front of a computer to do distance learning. And, you know, having maybe a couple of kids like that at home, I I just can't even imagine how difficult that is for the child and also for the mom, if the mom's the one staying home. Can, uh, well, well, I guess taking a look at this picture that we're describing, how can fathers uh, or partners, whoever that may be, um, help to mitigate some of this the rage and also the you know the whatever is ca- causing it the uh, the the stressors well i don't have a you know a, a very specific exam- uh, answer to that other than just obviously what's clear is that we all need to be mindful of the people that we love and we care for and 
do whatever we can to help them refocus on the present moment, to help them look at the positive side, be grateful, accepting, purposeful or intentional and non-judgmental. And so we can embody those characteristics ourselves. And I think that'll put us in a better position to take some of the heat off um, our spouse and mom, if, that, if that's the circumstance. But, uh, you know, I don't have any very specific suggestions. I think it's case-specific. Um, there are things, of course, that, that dads can do to sort of unload mom's uh, workload, if you will, and stress load. But uh, I think that's specific to each family. But aren't you also saying that, I mean, we have to take care of ourselves, that we really, the first, we, we really have to be aware and take care of ourselves and realize that we're doing this, the anxiety that's associated with the past or the future, and really be able to identify our stressors and then do and be engaged in the mindfulness and stay in the present. So it's, it's really up to, yeah. So it's up to each one of us as individuals and then we can go and be a partner or do whatever we do or be a mom. But if you don't do that, then you're always going to be caught up in this maladaptive or many of us, this maladaptive uh, anxiety, but we do. Yeah, go ahead. That's why we're instructed to put our own oxygen mask on first uh, in that intro before the flight takes off. You have to take care of yourself in order to be present and, 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 and really there to support the people around you. But given the context, and I, I mentioned it in the beginning, I mean, I, I think that um, this post, it really, I don't know if it's post-COVID or not. It's really maybe COVID all the time. I mean, so we're going to be, I think, personally, we're going to be dealing with this kind of a stressor all the time in, the, in order. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not going to go away. Um, so it's kind of a whole new world we're living in that is going to present these different kinds of stressors, as you say, particularly for mothers. Um, so it's really critical, I guess, to be able to, to, to be able to use this mindfulness, control our minds, uh, you know, release the fearful thoughts. And as you say, replace them with positive ones. I mean, I think that's key. Absolutely. We just we just need to focus on our breath when we're feeling stressed and, and remember to be grateful for what we have and, and our position in life and, and then accepting intentional, non-judgmental. And, and these are life skills that will make us more present and happy. And, and what could be more important? That's the only thing that all 7 billion of us on the planet want is to be happy. Uh, we want to be happy, but are are we doing the opposite? As you, I think you mentioned. I mean, we're either we're at war, we have viruses, we have all kinds of inflation. I can name a lot of stressors that are here in the present, and um, that we have to cope with every day, just on a global sense. Um, and, and I think some people just, yeah, look at it as, uh, you know, well, there's nothing I can do about it. So, uh, but you can't. Well, I think we do. You know, as the serenity prayer would have it, we have to discern between what we can change, what we can do something about, and what we can't. And for those things that we cannot change, we need to accept them, and we need to do that on purpose. We need to focus on accepting that. And um, we need to recognize there's always just a lot of pain in the world, uh, and I think that global pain, you know, the pain of seeing these terrible images from the Ukraine. Um, we all share that. That resonates. It, it causes all of us pain. And that is just part of life. And so we need to be able to deal with that. And, 
and we have to be very intentional about the way we do so if we want to be present and happy. Well, I'm assuming this is something that you, as a professor, that you talk to your uh, medical students about. And I'm always curious, we only have a couple minutes left. What is their reaction? Because they, as we've mentioned, a lot of stressors, but they themselves have a lot of stressors just being in medical school at this particular time. Of course. Well, I, I think the most important thing I can do is embody these principles myself. And I think when we're standing in a little group outside of a patient's room on rounds in the intensive care unit, if I'm present and exemplifying these principles, it, it, people can, can uh, sense that. And I think it helps other people be present as well. And so, you know, it's like when I go into a patient's room, who may, the, the patient may be dying. There may not be anything more we can do uh, to prevent that. Uh, sometimes, you know, the parents may understand all the physiology, all the science, and, and understand the diagnosis, and, and, of course, quite well by then. Uh, sometimes all I can do is go in the room and embody presence and just be present with them, and that means absorb with all my senses what they are experiencing, be a good listener, um, be reassuring, um, and, and sometimes that's the best we can do. And so we really need to be aware of that. And I think with my students, residents, and fellows, that's my overarching strategy is just to be present with them. And then, of course, I, I try to introduce these principles into their, into their lives as well to the best of my ability. Well, Dr. Greg Hammer, thanks so much, obviously, for sharing all of this. And uh, we want to hear more about what you're doing and about the process. So give us uh, a website and or websites to go to to find out more about you and your work. Sure. My website is simply greghammermd.com, G-R-E-G-H-A-M-M-E-R-M-D.com. And there's a lot of information there. There's a lot of media and so on. Got a great uh, social media team. And so uh, that's probably the best way uh, to find out what I'm up to, and, and I hope people will check it out. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Anytime, Catherine. I've enjoyed it. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 